What were your symptoms? Fatigue, really bad headache, terrible neck pain and back pain, um, and spiked a high fever, like got up to 103, and a weird mark on my butt on the second or third day. What did it look like? It looked like a bullseye, but to me at the time, it just didn't, I don't know, I just didn't make the connection. Hmm. For how long did you have those? Uh, Three days. And you are seen by the doctor, and she says what? She thought it was the flu. And then almost as as an aside, I showed her this weird rash. She was like, oh, oh, you have Lyme disease. Just like that? Yeah. My name is Taylor Quimby. Hi. I have a confession. Two summers ago, just weeks after my colleague Hannah was diagnosed with Lyme disease... I got it, too. Hannah got caught in the middle of something strange. A feud between two doctors working at the same clinic. One who said she had Lyme disease, and another who said she probably didn't. And she wound up getting two rounds of antibiotics before feeling mostly better. It was different for me. My doctor saw the rash, gave me antibiotics, and that was that. And that was the end of your dealings with Lyme? I think so. You know, if you're reading a lot about Lyme disease, you do get a little paranoid that the little things that come up could be somehow associated with having been sick. Like what? Like seasonal depression in the winter, anxiety, maybe overmaking this podcast. Um. (laughs) So personally, uh, my neck is sticking out pretty far to be treating Lyme and whatnot. The lack of understanding and agreement has left patients in a divided world of controversy. There are families that get devastated, completely debilitating to some folks. Lifelong illnesses. My Lyme story has been relatively uncomplicated. But you don't have to witness fear or confusion in the exam room to absorb it from your community. If things had gone differently... If I hadn't recovered so easily, or had let my paranoia get the better of me, who knows where I might have ended up. I found that even though I have five kids and grandchildren, that I felt probably more alone than I'd ever felt in my life. And I would find that my children were correcting me for certain things, and and it was like, no, it's this thing that's going on inside of me, and... So we have to learn how to grow through it. I want to say welcome and let's begin the journey together. So, so would you like to go? And Nadia, would you like to go? All of the confusion and conspiracy, the anger and anxiety around Lyme disease, it can drive people away from established medicine towards treatments and therapies that aren't well studied. The sorts of solutions that can be dangerous or costly or maybe just ineffective. Lasers, lasers are by far the most incredible health tool that have been invented in the last, probably forever. On this episode, we're going to talk about what happens when people are driven to go off-label, to experiment with treatments that may or may not have much science behind them. And we're going to explore the sometimes fuzzy line between experimental medicine and straight-up snake oil. I have here testimonials from people who have been cured. I said cured. This is where we show you what's behind the curtain. 
This is where we meet LimeWorld's Wizard of Oz. This is Patient Zero. young doctor who came in he said to me you don't belong here she was not very nice you don't belong here this february i visited a charming little library in the tiny town of wilmot new hampshire four women were gathered in the back sitting in a small circle of chairs right next to the dvds and a couple of scrabble themed pillows oh she said to me also we don't know what it is what you want from us what you want from us i said well I want you to find out what it is. All across the country, there are Lyme support groups just like this one. And they're different from other support groups in one very important way. Most of them are run independently, separate from hospitals and nonprofits, and there aren't any doctors present. Well, we are not the place here. We deal with with, uh, real cases. Anyway, so I thought, well, if they don't help us, help me, then I have to help myself. These are places where the anger is potent, where the frustration with healthcare is palpable. And they're places where you can hear firsthand accounts of how doctors lose their credibility with patients. Next day, I went uh, on um, internet and started to look up you know, other cases. And I'm 100% sure it is um, Lyme disease. Because some of them are self-diagnosed or diagnosed by alternative practitioners, the medical issues being discussed here are kind of all over the map. But one thing is pretty clear. They are sick. Um, My symptoms are primarily neurological. I've been dizzy 24-7 for over four years. When it feels like doctors have closed the door to proper health care because they're unable or unwilling to help or even listen to their patients, another set of doors open. These doors lead to dubious providers, so-called miracle cures, and untested treatments. And while these people are here to share stories and support one another, they're also here to swap treatment strategies. So I spent 23 months on antibiotics, five of which were done through a port um, IV, um, but all very aggressive. I mean, I was taking five oral antibiotics for 18 months, and then, you know, as you say, the the bags um, every day for five months. So um, I expected to hear about long-term antibiotic use, a controversy that we'll get into on the next episode. But what I didn't expect to hear about was lasers. Somebody had found this place called Lyme Laser Center of New England, and I tell you, I came back alive, and I thought... This I is aspiring life coach Mary Howe. She organized this meeting and was really keen on encouraging the other women here to go see the person she says saved her life, Dr. Doug Wine, a chiropractor. And these people literally saved my life. And it's been over two years now that I've had treatment, and I just feel 100% better. And By this time, I had heard about a number of Lyme therapies that are discouraged or downright condemned by the CDC. Colloidal silver is one, 
It's a supplement, literally particles of silver metal suspended in liquid. And while there are no studies to show it does anything helpful for Lyme disease or anything else, it can cause kidney damage and screw up your liver. In fact, if you take enough, it can turn your skin blue. I promise. Google the word Argyria, and you will not be disappointed. Another big no-no is malaria therapy, where people intentionally contract malaria as a way to fight symptoms of Lyme. This is frowned upon for pretty obvious reasons. On the other hand, there are things like transcranial magnetic stimulation. I won't go into the details, but it is FDA-approved for the treatment of depression. And depression is a common symptom for anyone who gets misdiagnosed and has to live with the disease for an extended period. So where does laser therapy land on the spectrum of verboten therapies? Is it in the dangerous and ineffective camp or the try it if you want it but don't make any promises camp? I decided to find out for myself. When I checked out the website for Lyme Laser Centers of New England, a few things caught my eye right off the bat. First of all, there are claims on the front page of the website that are not remotely backed up by science. Namely, that Lyme disease is not just transmitted by ticks, but can also be passed on by mosquitoes, pets, and even from person-to-person contact. Second, an FAQ on the website specifically tells readers that they should, quote, not trust doctors and, quote, not take antibiotics. Third, the Lyme Laser Center offers their own free testing, a 600-plus question survey they call the cofactor assessment. No blood test required. And the last thing I noticed before scheduling an appointment to take the test were a bunch of typos. Just saying. Hello? How you doing? You must be Dr. Wine. I am. How are you? Nice to meet you. Taylor. Nice to meet you. Yeah, to figure it out. Do you want me to take my You're shoes off? You're all set. No, okay. You're not, the, you're not going on any of that stuff. So. Okay. Come on in. Sorry. Okay. This is the New Hampshire Public Radio. Hi. Hi. Nice Do we have anybody you. in the assessment room? Yeah. Lillian's watching a video. She is? Yeah. Uh, she almost, uh, where is I she? I just started her. You just started her. Yeah. We're going to get Taylor to do the assessment first. Oh, okay. Okay, and then, uh, and then I'll do the inter- interview with him after that. I didn't know anything about I that. forgot to tell you. Sorry. <laughs> Hi, Terry. Um, can you take care of that for me? Yeah. There you go. At the Lyme Laser Center in North Andover, Massachusetts, patients go through a treatment protocol involving several different therapies. The receptionist, Amber, started my tour by showing me a patient who is standing on a giant vibrating machine. Um, <laughs> what, what's going on over here? This is the oscillator, mm-hmm. and she's also hooked up to oxygen. It looked like something you'd see at the gym, sort of like an elliptical, only the feet don't actually move. There was a discreet plastic tube clipped to her nostrils. So this is where you typically will start your appointment. You're doing 10 minutes on the oscillator, and that's really stimulating your body, and it's giving you enough exercise and stimulation that your body thinks it's 50 minutes of walking. So Next was what Amber called the brain tap room, something that resembled a high-tech meditation center. Basically, these noise-canceling headphones have different brain waves, and it'll be either alpha, theta, or delta, depending on which program you're on. And, and just to describe it, the room is a little bit dark. We've got some comfy chairs and tables with headphones and like an iPad? Yes, it is. It's a Kindle. And is that just to set the, set the, um, the waves? Yes. And then finally, the laser room, which was pretty bare, all things considered. Inside, a man wearing dark sunglasses was sitting in a chair, 
casually running what looked like a next-generation Star Trek phaser over his clothes. Uh, it's just those little handheld lasers. They're cold lasers. Gosh, they're about, it's like the size of um, my shaver. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're really small. And you're holding it on different parts of your body. So it changes between frequencies on depending on what organ you're on or what gland, what muscle, what bone. This kind of therapy has a more specific name, low-level light therapy. Sometimes, the devices are referred to as cold lasers because when they're pointed at your skin, they don't really feel like anything at all. Their frequencies are on the very low end of the spectrum. They're pretty popular with chiropractors, apparently. Here's a clip from an episode of Dr. Oz on pill-free pain relief. The light is going to penetrate through the skin and it's going to get absorbed by the areas that need the laser light, and the laser light is going to help tissue healing, improving the blood flow to the area. Do you feel this at all? Nothing. And what kinds of neck pain does it work for best? All neck pains, Dr. Oz. Uh, people that have arthritic neck pain, people that have disc herniation. Low-level light devices are approved by the FDA for the treatment of aches and pains. Basically, it's a sports medicine thing. And you can actually buy them yourself off Amazon for just a couple hundred bucks or less. Studies do show that they have some mild effects in reducing inflammation, increasing blood flow, and speeding up the healing process for minor injuries. But how would they cure Lyme disease? That question had to wait. First, I had to take the test, the Lyme laser cofactor assessment. About is don't leave anything blank. Okay. Any of these, if it doesn't apply to you, just you can hit an X or a period or a no, none, anything. The testing room had two computers on opposite ends and those funny ergonomic chairs that make you look like you're kneeling when you sit in them. Okay, name. Just a ton of multiple choice. Have you ever been professionally diagnosed with Lyme? Yes. Have you ever professionally diagnosed with candida? No. Have you ever been treated for candida? No. Have I had brain fog? Sure. Dizziness? Mm, not really. Fatigue? The cofactor assessment is an epidemiologist's worst nightmare. It's filled with questions about subjective symptoms, asking whether or not you've experienced them in the past year or previous years. Many of these questions are asked five or six times. Next. Anxiety, yes. Nervousness, sure. Wheezing, previous years. Appendicitis, no. circulation, anemia, no. Kidney arthritis, no. Liver disease, no. 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 Low back, no. Digestive, no. Measles, no. Mumps, no. Bleeding, previous years. Pneumonia, no. Blood clots, no. Breathing, no. Sore throat, no. Sure, cancer, no. Gas, cholesterol, Again, I couldn't help but notice a couple of typos. Have you had stomach? Hmm. And some questions, honestly, I just cannot imagine why they have anything to do with anything. Do you hesitate to exercise regularly? Yeah, occasionally. Are you more tired after exercise? Sometimes. Do you need coffee to wake up? Yes. How often are pesticides used in your home? Never. How often are you exposed to nail polish, perfume, hairspray? Do you tend to overeat? Do I chew gum? Sure. Do you cook or reheat foods in plastic containers in the microwave? No. Do you eat foods which are artificially colored? I think it's safe to say that a lot of the questions in the cofactor test have little or nothing to do with diagnosing Lyme disease. Chewing gum does not, to my knowledge, increase your chances of a tick bite. But in the era of the 15-minute doctor's appointment, where people can be ushered in and out of an exam room with minimal empathy or understanding, this test may be the first time that someone, or something, 
shows real interest in their symptoms. Before a patient has ever spoken with Dr. Wine, the cofactor assessment has achieved what so many other clinicians never will. It says, I'm listening. I hear you. I believe you. I want to know more. And all that makes Dr. Wine's job that much easier once the test is complete. So you filled out this assessment. It's over 600, over 600 questions, all right? By asking those questions, we're able to get a much more valid description of whether you have Lyme or not. And your Lyme score came back at 50, so the chance of you still having Lyme is 50%. Sounds like you still have it. Oh, Doug Wine. Where do I start? Dr. Wine is a charming guy. Looks like he could be a middle-aged sailboat model or something. Silvery hair, ruddy cheeks, big sweater. After presenting me with some very problematic math, Dr. Wine went on to contradict nearly everything I had ever learned about the disease up until this point. He started with the tests, which, as we've discussed, aren't great for the first few weeks of infection. You will have to have it in you for a minimum of nine months before you're ever going to test positive. In case you have any doubts, this is not true. So 70% of all ticks carry the Lyme spirochete. This, too, is incorrect. Are you ready for this? And the people that are listening, yeah, <laughs> they're going to shrug their heads on this one. The tick is like number seven or eight down the list of what is actually transmitting disease now. Nope. We know that it is sexually transmitted. Uh-uh. We know that it is transmitted by all bodily fluids. Oh, God. You kiss someone, you have sex with someone, you're giving it or getting Lyme disease. Oh, my God, no. Drank out of one bottle and you forgot which one is yours and you pick up the other one and have a drink of beer and that guy has Lyme. You just acquired Lyme. One drop of saliva will do it. Oh, that's not true. We know these things for facts now. So humans are by far the number one carrier of Lyme disease, and that's where it gets transmitted the most. I don't want to get bogged down countering all of these claims right now. But to be clear, everything you just heard is wrong. And if you want to know why, we'll post some more detailed explanations on our website. So moving on. Before Dr. Wine was challenging the facts on Lyme disease, he was focused on fat. For years, he ran a chiropractor's office on New Hampshire's seacoast called the Body Design Center. He had a protocol test there, too, like the one he uses here, as well as lasers, the same oscillating machines and oxygen therapy. But all of it was advertised as a method for weight loss. In an article in 2011, he was quoted as saying that the key to weight loss is in the hormones and that, quote, the body doesn't go into fat-burning mode until nighttime. He claimed that the average person could expect to lose one to four inches off their waistline per visit to the Body Design Center. As far as I can tell, he's retrofitted the same protocol for an infectious disease, Lyme. 12 weeks intensive, and then the, uh, which is twice a week for 12 weeks. Uh, you're going to have anywhere from 30 to 40 different supplements. And then you've got six months where we have to eliminate all of the hatchlings as they hatch. So we include all that. Everything is included in it for $6,000, right around there. Hatchlings, huh. Each visit includes all of the therapies I've mentioned here. Oscillation, brain tap, and of course, the lasers. And he puts patients on a healthier diet. None of this is covered by insurance, of course, so that $6,000, you caught that right, that $6,000 is coming out of pocket. And the claim, this bombardment of therapies will do what antibiotics can't, permanently cure chronic Lyme disease. If you believe that, you've got to wonder, how does this work? How do low-powered lasers that are approved to treat aches and pains cure an infectious disease? 
once you scare these bugs and these these spirochetes can go and hide under this biofilm and this biofilm is as hard as concrete it's a biofilm it's a polysaccharide biofilm believe it or not it's a sugar dr wine's explanation for how lasers can treat lyme disease rests entirely on something called biofilm and while i'm tempted to skip past this and tell you that this is utter garbage i actually think it's important to break down how he's mixing fact with fiction here in order to make his protocol sound more scientific than it really is. Some pathogens can indeed form a protective coating, called a biofilm, under which colonies of bacteria can grow untouched by antibiotics. It's pretty common in species of bacteria that infect your mouth. Dental plaque is basically a biofilm. They can be tough for liquids and gases to penetrate. You might say that they're non-stick, like Teflon, but they are not as strong as steel or concrete. Now here's the key part. One paper has shown that Lyme bacteria can create biofilms. But so far, it's only been done in lab conditions. They've never been seen in living humans or animals with Lyme disease. And that paper, well, it has been panned by most of the researchers I've talked to. Dr. Wine is placing all of his eggs in this basket, saying with unearned confidence that biofilms explain persistent symptoms in post-treatment and chronic Lyme patients, even though the science is incredibly flimsy. Okay, back to Dr. Wine. We knew that that was the key. If you can eliminate or deteriorate this biofilm, obviously then the bacteria just becomes a normal bacterium and you can easily eliminate them like anything else. We have got different sets of lasers and other different things that we do. And they're set up, and I don't want to give, I told you earlier, I wasn't going to give away my secrets over this interview, but we have figured out how to do that uh, through lasers and a combination of other things. So once the de- once the, the biofilm is deteriorated, and I'll add that... Well, well can, I, can I just understand the basics of how that works, as opposed to the specifics in terms of, um, like, the frequency or something like that, but maybe just, because I don't understand what the how the laser is breaking down the biofilm, or even how you find the biofilms. Well, the biofilms are everywhere. Um, and I'll tell you what, you'll have to come back. We're right now doing our intellectual property. I mentioned this earlier. But if you come back in probably two or three months from now, I'll give you all the details you want. So I can't tell you again, can't tell you any more about how, how our lasers work. But let's just go to the, and, and to, the, to the point just after that, that. Let's assume that they do. I guess I, my only issue is if you're asking people to come in here and do a treatment, they should be able to know that it's that it's efficacious. Yeah. Well, we go by right now. We go by our uh, our testimonials. We've we've treated now over a thousand people, and uh, we take a testimonial from every person that comes in here, and people can go and look at that. That's what we go by right now. Like I said, uh, I can't give you any more proof. Although you're 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 kind of forcing me and and dig, <laughs> digging here, which I don't appreciate. All right, I told you I can't do it, and but I told you I told you honestly I will be able to give you that information if you give me a couple more months, and then you can blurb this to the whole entire world. All right, fair enough. Fair enough. So let me go back. Let me go back to let's assume now that that you can assume. It's been over six months since my visit to the Lyme Laser Center, and Dr. Wine has never sent me any of the information he promised. I've emailed and left lots of messages. He only responded once and told me he was too busy to answer any of my questions, even the yes or no ones. Uh, You know, in terms of its use for Lyme, you know, know, there's no biologically plausible reason why this type of device should affect Lyme disease. So instead, I called Dr. Michael Carone, 
director of Public Citizen, a government watchdog group focused on the safety of drugs and medical devices. And I told him what Dr. Wine told me. And he said that he couldn't tell me any of the details because it was pending intellectual property um, stuff. So that he's... <laughs> yeah, there's always the uh, what's behind the Wizard of Oz curtain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Here's how the regulation works. Devices like cold lasers have to be approved based on science for marketing purposes, but not marketing to consumers, marketing to providers. In other words, a laser company can only sell its lasers for aches and pains, but a doctor can use them to treat whatever they want. Runny noses, hemorrhoids, you name it. As a clinician, you might be able to get away with that. But there's a catch, because as I said, Manufacturers of medical devices are under stricter rules. They can only advertise their products for treatments cleared by the FDA. The laser has an infinite number of applications. Some providers have gotten in trouble for trying to sell lasers just like Dr. Wines. One South Dakota dentist, for example, claimed that his cold lasers could cure or treat everything from bronchitis to incontinence to cancer. Light is healing. Our sun is light. The sun is healing. Energy is healing. The laser is just another... So, long story short, Dr. Wine would only be breaking the law if he were making his own lasers and selling them to other providers. Well, guess what? Um, so, so you actually manufacture them? I make all my own stuff. I make all my own uh, lasers myself. I make all my own supplements. I don't trust supplement manufacturers. That's another, that's another talk for another day. Until I come back, we'll have some... Ever since the early days, when Dr. Wine was allegedly using lasers to melt fat off of waistlines, he has been manufacturing his own equipment. So we literally went and bought uh, some tan- two tanning beds, took them back, ripped out all the guts out of them, and put in, our, uh, put in all of our lasers. And, um, and uh, that's how we actually made our first one. The first one we made for hair was very interesting, too. Uh, we actually took an old hockey helmet and drilled holes in the hockey helmet with the laser dies. And he's been selling the lasers, too. As of this recording, there are now seven Lyme laser centers. One in Maine, one in San Francisco, in Baltimore, in Missouri, two in New Hampshire, and one in Massachusetts. We heard back from three of these centers, and they confirmed that Dr. Wine sells them a package that includes everything needed to administer his protocol. Not the tanning beds and hockey helmets, just the handheld stuff that I saw at the center. They told us, just as he did, that his lasers are proprietary that he makes them or has them made to his specifications and can only be purchased from him. Of course, it is possible that Dr. Wine is just buying lasers off the shelf and marking them up, but he is selling them to providers, not for FDA-approved treatments related to aches or pains, but specifically for Lyme disease. As a medical device manufacturer, Dr. Wine also should have gotten what's called 510K clearance, a sort of basic step that alerts the FDA to what you're doing and lets them know that you're piggybacking on the clearance of similar or identical devices already on the market. According to searches on the FDA database, he never did. As a manufacturer, you can't market it for uses that the FDA hasn't cleared it for. Um, if, if the doctor's indeed doing that, then he, he appears to be not complying with federal regulations related to the oversight of medical devices. Michael Carome told me that even if Dr. Wine is non-compliant, it's unlikely that the FDA will step in. It would be great if someone, some regulatory body would step in and stop that. 
Um, but this is there are just thousands of examples of, of this type of conduct by uh, healthcare professionals across the country. There are just so many non-compliant devices out there, the FDA is going to prioritize the ones that could actively harm patients. The lasers, as far as we can tell, aren't dangerous. They just don't have any studies to back them up when it comes to Lyme disease. comes from the old Dutch quacksalver, one who quacks like a duck about his salves and remedies. Time has made a few changes, but quackery today is still essentially built on misinformation, distortion, mental suggestion, fadism, and half-truths. And it is still spread in an atmosphere of ignorance, fear, and superstition. Quackery. Flimflam, snake oil. There's a long history of people selling bogus medicines and health remedies. But in some cases, there's a nugget of truth hidden underneath the pile of bull. My name is Cynthia Graber. I have been a radio reporter, science reporter, all over reporter for a long time, a couple decades. Cynthia Graber is the co-host of the podcast Gastropod. And some years back, she wrote about the origin of the phrase snake oil salesman for Scientific American. It all started in the United States in the mid-19th century, when more than 12,000 Chinese laborers were building the Central Pacific Railroad across California and Nevada. And, you know, that was really hard labor, and they probably used snake oil to help them with their aches and pains at the end of the day. Um, And that's because snake oil has long been a remedy in traditional Chinese medicine, particularly for arthritis and joint pain. The oil, which came from Chinese water snakes, was rubbed on the skin topically. Quackery, you say? Well, you probably know lots of folks who take another type of oil on a regular basis as a supplement. Fish oil. Because fish oil contains... Omega-3 fatty acids. They're supposed to be very good for us. They're an important part of our diet. And you can find them in a really high percentage in fish that live in cold water because they help keep the fat in their body supple in water that's that cold. And it turns out that sea snakes in the China Sea have an even higher percentage of omega-3 fatty acids in their fat in their body than salmon do. Studies have consistently shown that diets high in omega-3 fatty acids can help reduce heart disease and inflammation, the sort that causes arthritis and pain in the joints. And guess what? Snake oil? I haven't found a study that tests it on joints to see if it works. So I don't know that it actually relieves pain. But it certainly, omega-3 fatty acids are known to help combat inflammation. So there's a potential mechanism there, like it could be working. So if there's a little bit of truth here, then where do we get the term snake oil salesman? Ladies and gentlemen, gather around for one of the greatest things you've ever seen. Clark Stanley's snake oil liniment. Trademark register. It likely came from Clark Stanley, a.k.a. the Rattlesnake King, a 19th century entrepreneur with a dubious moral foundation. He claimed to have learned the secrets of snake oil from Native Americans. It was really popular at the time to say that you got your knowledge from Indians, so he was really working that angle really well. This is Erica Janik, my executive producer and, what do you know, author of Marketplace of the Marvelous, The Strange Origins of Modern Medicine. 
She says the Rattlesnake King showed up at the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago and turned out quite the performance. He had a big old sack of snakes, and he would slit them open and then dunk them into boiling water. And then the fat inside the snakes would rise to the surface, and he would skim that off and sell it as snake oil liniment, which he said was a cure-all. Neuralgia, sciatica, lame back, lumbago, contracted cords, toothache, sprains, swellings, frostbites, bruises, sore throats, You name it, Clark Stanley says his snake oil could cure it. Of course, there's just one hitch with Clark's rattlesnake oil. Rattlesnakes have like a third the omega-3 fatty acids of the Chinese water snakes. So at the same time that Clark Stanley is ramping up claims, saying his oil is the cure for everything, he's actually reducing the ingredient that maybe, just maybe, was actually having a positive effect. By the time he was busted by the feds in 1917, he had gone full snake oil. As in, his snake oil contained absolutely no snake oil at all. Instead, it was likely some combination of beef fat, red pepper, and turpentine. Right. And I mean, to me, it's two things, right? It's medical telephone, and it is another example of white people kind of being like, hey, those folks over there, those non-white people, they had a good idea. I'm going to make money off it and do something that's actually not what they were doing originally. The reason I wanted to tell you this story is because, despite the progress we've made in these past 100 years, there are ways in which the line between healthcare and quackery is still thinner than you might realize. Therapies that are poo-pooed because their benefits are hard to measure or aren't well understood, and conventional FDA-approved drugs that perhaps aren't as effective as we would like to believe. The temptation is always to say that some therapy or another is either real evidence-based medicine or pure useless snake oil. But why can't it be a little bit of both? Case in point, another unusual and controversial Lyme treatment called full-body hyperthermia. Hyper meaning over or elevated, thermia meaning heat or temperature. Heat therapy. Located in the Bavarian town Bad Abling, Clinic St. George markets itself as a place of last resort for people suffering with Lyme disease. Patients travel from all over the world and pay tens of thousands of dollars to be treated here. Dr. Frederick Dow says the heat kills the Lyme bacteria in the body. Slowly, we go up with the temperature. It takes approximately two hours. Whole body Heating up the body can make it inhospitable for pathogens. That's partially why you get a fever when you get sick. Again, theoretically, this isn't total quackery. Here in the U.S., there are clinical trials that combine this kind of high heat with chemotherapy, and there are indications that it might make cancer treatments more effective. But it's no miracle cure. And in the case of high-heat hyperthermia, where a patient's temperature is raised to over 107 degrees, the treatment comes with serious risks. According to the federal government website, cancer.gov, side effects of hyperthermia treatment include blisters, tissue swelling, and blood clots, in rare cases can cause cardiovascular disorders. Again, it's dangerous. But what if there is something here worth examining? What if there's a safer version of the same treatment? 
The wrinkle uh, for me, though, is that my new treatments are almost all old treatments um, for the treatment of depression. This is Charles Raison, professor of psychiatry at the University of Wisconsin-Madison School of Medicine and Public Health. Uh, for example? Well, for example, whole body hyperthermia is a classic, right? So, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, people have been crawling into sweat lodges and baking themselves in saunas and baths for thousands of years and heat. Um, has real biologic effects that change people's emotional, um, perceptual, and cognitive states. Dr. Raison has been studying the use of full-body hyperthermia at lower, safer temperatures for the treatment of major depression. And so far, it looks like he's really on to something. For this treatment, patients lay on a hospital stretcher covered with what looks like a rectangular canvas tent. So the, the person's body is completely enclosed in a tent and the head sticks out of one end of the tent, and there are these large infrared lights that shine down from the top of the tent onto the body. And it's it's in that tent-like enclosure that uh, the heat is generated. After a period of time, the infrared lights turn off, and the person's body is wrapped up to keep the heat in. And have, have you ever tried it? I mean, do you know what oh, it yeah. feels like? I know exactly. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I know exactly what it feels like. Um, by the time it was over, I was, you know, sweating profusely and I was huffing and puffing. I, I felt like I had run a marathon, you know, kind of out in the desert heat. I mean, it, it was remarkably hot. I think what Dr. Raison is trying to say here is it's hot. So it's hot, hot. It's very hot. It's hot. It's very hot. It's really hot. I mean, it is hot. When I first heard about Dr. Wine's light therapy, I thought, light therapy? What a crock. It seems like a simple light couldn't possibly have an effect on the human body, never mind an infectious disease. But then I thought more about the subject and I realized, sunlight can burn your skin, give you vitamin D, warm your body, change your circadian rhythms. And heat is powerful too. During Dr. Raison's therapy, your heart rate and blood pressure goes up, stress hormones flush through the body, an immune response is triggered. The problem isn't that these therapies are useless. The problem is that the claims ought to match the science. Don't trust any new treatment that doesn't have a credible placebo comparator because the power of placebo, which is this combination of hope, expectation, trust in a authority figure, the, you know, the, the clinician, th these are overwhelmingly powerful effects. Charles Raison has been able to show that full-body hyperthermia can help lessen the symptoms of major depression. But there's still so much more work to do. Each step of the study process is iterative, intentional, slow. Not to mention placebo-controlled. He publishes his results, shows his work, opens it up to criticism. We don't know how it works. We have this tantalizing finding, but that's, it's a very preliminary finding, and there's a lot to be done there um, also. Just think about how different this sounds from the first half of this episode. Lasers, lasers are by far the most incredible health tool that have been invented in the last, probably forever. I mean, they really are. They can do things, magical things, as long as you have the right dynamics of the lasers. So you've got different, um, different frequencies, you have different nanometers, you have different joules, you have different powers, you have different things for different lasers. If you can figure out the dynamics of the lasers to match what you want them to do, they can work miracles. Like, we can kickstart something. I had some lady in here just the other day. Ever since I visited the Lyme Laser Centers, I've been struggling to answer a question. 
one that can feel a little icky. Why is it that so many patients swear by treatments with little to no scientific justification? Hi, I'm Nancy, and I think I've probably had Lyme for over 10 years now and uh, decided to come here, and glad I did. Uh, I'm cured, and I feel like a million bucks, uh, thanks to Dr. Wine. A cynic would likely attribute these testimonials to the placebo effect and the fact that people don't like to admit they've been scammed. And there's probably some truth to that. I realized I was starting to sleep. And for me, sleep was huge. And when you're not sleeping, I'm learning that you didn't, you don't regenerate your tissues in your body and things. So that was the biggest thing for me. And I started to feel different. Dr. Wine is making misleading, dangerous claims about Lyme disease. His testing protocol is not a responsible diagnostic tool. And there is no proof his lasers will cure bona fide Lyme disease. But Dr. Wine is providing something that patients want. Um, so the brain fog is gone. That was one of the first things that started clearing up. Um, How long did that take? About a month. So a month into the treatment. About a month into the treatment. Time. He spends time with his patients. He asks hundreds of personal questions. He gets them into meditation and exercise. He tells them to change their diet. Combined with the power of the placebo, these lifestyle changes really are probably helping with symptoms, with depression, anxiety, aches and pains that may very well be related to chronic illness. The lasers are probably the least important part of what he's doing, just the shtick that helps sell the whole package. I started the diet right away, and almost immediately I started feeling better, and I feel 100% better right now. If this is quackery, it's no surprise that some people prefer it to getting kicked out of an emergency room empty-handed. So what's the truth here? Again, Dr. Michael Carome of Public Citizen. It may appear to be harmless, and there may be a placebo effect, which is real. I mean, placebo effect is a real thing. But where they can be harmed is, is in their pocketbook, for one. Patients can be charged several hundred, if not several thousand dollars, not covered by health insurance. Um, and again, desperate patients all, you know, can suffer financially when, when, when they're exploited. Dr. Wine charges his patients right around $6,000, he says, for treatments that are all available for much, much cheaper. We include all that. Everything is included in it for $6,000, right around there. Actually, by the time this comes out, it might be a little bit more. And at this point, have you gotten insurance companies on board? No, insurance companies are never going to pay. I mean, I have to, we are a Lyme protocol um, office. There's no code. Insurance companies have made it very clear that they don't want to be, uh, they don't want to have anything to do with this Lyme disease. It's, a, it's, it's an epidemic right now. It's worse and worse. It's being transmitted as we speak right now, very highly transmittable. And um, there's going to be more and more. They're not going to pick the tab up for this. So, again, more the reason why we try to keep it as real. In my opinion, there are four questions you should ask about treatments and therapies. What are the claims? What are the costs? What are the risks? And where is the evidence? If patients want to do a little laser therapy, that's their call. But remember, you can buy a laser off Amazon for a couple hundred bucks. And guess what? The therapy that Charles Raison is working on, you can simulate that too for the price of a YMCA membership. It's called a sauna.
Patient Zero is produced and reported by me, Taylor Quimby. Projects like this one take time and resources. If you like what you hear, consider making a $20 donation at patientzeropodcast.org. You'll get early access to an ad-free feed and some bonus episodes as well. Editing help for this episode came from Jason Moon, Justine Paradise, Jimmy Gutierrez, and Nick Capadice. Sam Evans-Brown is Patient Zero's senior producer. Erica Janik is executive producer. Fact-checking for this episode by Amy Tardiff. Graphics by Sarah Plord. Maureen McMurray is director of content. If you've got questions, concerns, or comments about Patient Zero, we want to hear from you. Email us at patientzero at nhpr.org. Patient Zero's theme was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Additional music from Poddington Bear, Blue Dot Sessions, and Disasterpiece. Credit music by Deerhoof. Patient Zero is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Radio.